Revelation. Chapter 10, Joshua read already the, the first 11 verses, but I'd like to go, have you go back to um, chapter 1 and give you the key. Maybe you're joining us for the first time. Maybe it's your first time going through the book of Revelation. But John, again, is on the island of Patmos. He's 96 years old. He's an old man. The only disciple who never died as a martyr. He died of old age. The Lord appears to him on Patmos. And the key to the book of Revelation is chapter 1, verse 19. He hears a voice behind him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 19, the Lord tells John, write the things which you have seen the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This divides the book of Revelation into three different categories. Chapter one, the things that he saw. What did he see? He saw Jesus, and um, what he saw um, was in, in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars in his right hand and the seven golden lampstands. He also saw that. So that's all of chapter one. That's one division of the book. Now when you get to chapters two and three, we have seven letters to uh, the seven churches. And we'll be coming back to that when I get into some of the promises of the Lord. And so it's in the present tense. Write the things you've seen, chapter one. Write the things that are, present tense. That's still us here today. We're in the church age as, as we speak. And so chapters two and three, all in red letters, uh, speak of seven letters to the seven uh, churches. And they are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They're all within 80 miles of each other and they would be in what we would call the modern country of Turkey today. All seven of these churches, all within 80 miles of each other. It's like go between here and Milwaukee, you know, that's how close all these churches were. And then you'll notice, write the things that will be hereafter. Again, the Greek word is metatata, after these things, literally. So as you look at chapters four and five, um, I believe John is taken into heaven and um, hears a voice that says, come up here. In chapter four, uh, we have um, the throne room. Um, We have the the father on the throne. Uh, We have the four living creatures in verse seven. One looks like a lion, the other looks like a calf, the other looks like a man, and the fourth an eagle. And of course, we went to Ezekiel and got a lot more detail about what they're called here, Zoa, or living creatures. Uh, they're angelic beings of, of the highest order. They don't rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's chapter four. Chapter five, um, we have the father on the throne, but he has a scroll in his hand, and it says nobody was worthy to take it out of the Father's hand. Matter of fact, nobody could even look upon it. And it was more than John could handle. And he breaks down. It's actually the title deed to the planet. It was forfeited in the garden 
to Lucifer because of the first lie. And as a result, John cannot simply handle the fact that this world would remain in the hands of Lucifer and nobody could take back the title deed to planet Earth. Well, an angel comes over and comforts him and says, don't cry. Uh, Behold, um, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seal. So it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he goes up to the Father, he takes the scroll, and as soon as he takes the scroll, all of heaven erupts in song. The song uh, begins in verse 9, and it talks about you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain. Clearly a reference to Jesus Christ. And the only people that can sing this song, it says, for you have redeemed us by your blood. Angels cannot be redeemed. Only human beings can be redeemed. Where is the church at this time? Notice the black letters. They're in heaven. And they're rejoicing. They're singing this, this song. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So as we look um, at four and five, it's a heavenly scene. And um, the church is in heaven at this time. And uh, then the angels, they can't sing a song of redemption, but of God's glory. In verse 12, worthy of these lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And uh, then the four living creatures said amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Now, in chapter six, It's the opening of the first six seal judgments. And I'm just going to draw your attention to chapter 6, verse 8 at the fourth seal. These are judgments. The first seal is the Antichrist who goes out to make war. And then um, we have war followed by famine, followed by death. And because of all the way up to the first four seals, we read here, In verse eight, at this pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was called Death, and Hades followed him, and power was given over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Well, currently we're right around eight billion people. One quarter of that is two billion people. So we're not into the trumpet judgments yet, but at this time, even before we get into the trumpet judgments, we got two billion people that have been killed, and that's just up to the seal judgments. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 17, because what we have here is a declaration at the end of the sixth seal, and verse 17 says, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Uh, those, we of course take a strong pre-tribulation view um, because we can suffer the wrath of man. There's a lot of persecution, isn't there, going on uh, outside of America anyway, against the church. We've become targeted, many, many martyrs, especially in Africa. And um, 
Um, Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. But this is the wrath of our enemy um, who goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he can take out. He's after you, especially if you're vocal about your faith. So that's the wrath of our enemy. That is the wrath of men who hate Christianity. And there isn't a day go by that I don't hear another story about more persecution rising against the church, especially Bible-believing churches. This is the wrath of the Lamb. It is not the wrath of Lucifer, it's not the wrath of man, it is the wrath of the Lamb. And it is a clear reference that God is now going to judge this world that has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we get to chapter 7, we have a break because we don't have the seventh seal being opened till chapter 8, verse 1. It's sort of an interlude uh, that gives us information that tells us about 144,000 Jewish people. We know they're Jewish because of the 12 tribes, 12,000 from the 12 different tribes listed in verses 5 through 8. They have a seal of protection put upon them to protect them from uh, the first three and a half years going into the tribulation. They'll be supernaturally protected. And then the second, uh, chapter seven is really in two parts. The first part is the sealing of the 144,000. And then from nine to 17, uh, we have this um, a group in heaven They are those who are saved during the tribulation. So basically information is being given to us before we open the seventh uh, seal. That brings us to chapter eight. And now it says, and when he had opened the seventh seal, um, we have in the seventh seal the seven bold judgments. Some of your Bibles will say the, the vile judgments. I like to call, um, I mean the trumpet, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. And we went through that last week. And I like to call it also the third judgments because we have a, a third of, a, of, the, of the water and a third of, of the sea and a third of the sun uh, being smitten and in the trumpet judgments. So in chapter eight, we have four of the trumpet judgments and they're directed towards um, the earth. As we look at chapter uh, five, um, I mean chapter uh, nine, we have the fifth and the sixth judgments and they're directed towards man. Let me draw your attention to chapter 9, verse 15. And before I go on any farther, let me remind you that in the seal judgments, the fourth one, we had a quarter of the earth, or two billion people, already destroyed. Now, when you look at the sixth trumpet, look at verse 15. It tells us... as a result of um, um, 
this judgment. Verse 15 says, so the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, this is already on top of the quarter of uh, the population. So that would bring us down to six million. One third of six million is another two million. And so by the time we get to the sixth trumpet judgment, half of the world's population is already destroyed. And sometimes they just want to stop and say, Selah, Selah, Selah. Everybody knows what Selah means? In other words, let it sink in. And one of, um, uh, I, I tried to make this point last week or the week before, of hell being let loose on planet Earth to a degree that this preacher just cannot put into words. How terrible um, things are going to be on this planet. And so as we look at this, as we now come to chapter 10, chapter 10 is the interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Uh, This chapter begins the second of a series of judgments between the sixth and the seventh seal. There was an interlude. Uh, There were two groups who redeemed and sealed during the great tribulation. Here, the sixth and seventh trumpet, we have an interlude, and we have now three personalities are introduced to us. In other words, three new characters that haven't been a part of our study so far. And they are this mighty angel in the first couple verses of chapter 10. And then when we get to chapter 11, uh, we'll be introduced to two other people. And they're called the two witnesses. And I believe totally that they're um, Elijah and, and Moses. So that brings us that much of an introduction. Let's look at um, chapter 10. And I want to want... I want to read verses 1 through 3a and sort of divide uh, verse 3 into two sections here because there are two different thoughts that are being, um, that come up. Verse 1, and I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Now, just think of this. A mighty angel comes down. One foot on land, one foot on sea, if I could roar like a lion, I would, but you got the idea. I see him going like this and just letting it out. But what's, what's with the land, one foot on land, one foot on sea? And a book in his hand. I believe the idea is, I, by the way, I've titled the morning's message, Delay No More. And so what's happening here is the idea is I'm taking it back. I've already purchased it at Calvary. And, but now I'm going to take it and I'm going to take it my way. I'm going to take it by force, by the wrath of the Lamb. 
And thus he plants, showing that he's planting something. And as I thought about it, um, what came to mind was uh, the statue down by the, the YMCA of six men raising the American flag on, uh, on Iwo Jima. Well, I'm going to put it up on screen so you guys can see it. There it is. How many of you are familiar with that picture? Okay, let me tell you a little bit about it. There's six men up there. Five are Marines. One is from the Navy. And what they're doing um, here is they're planting the American flag on Iwo Jima, February 23rd, 1945. And basically they're saying, we're taking this. We're taking it by force. Um, And then I thought, you know, I heard somewhere that one of those guys was from Appleton. And it was in the back of my head somewhere. So we did a little research, and sure enough, the guy who's in the Navy, his name is John Bradley, and he grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. That's, that's just for extra credit. You can do with it what you want to. But the idea here is what they're doing. Um, when Columbus came to America, uh, he, he planted a Spanish flag on the land. And by planting, planting it, he's claiming it. That's what I see happening here. Delay no more. And this angel comes down, he plants his foot on the land. He plants his foot on the sea. Delay no longer. I've already bought it, but now delay no longer. He's going to finish out his judgment, but make no doubt about it. He's claiming that which is rightfully his. So, the little book, let's pick it up now in 3B. Oh, no, the, I've got to talk about the seven thunders, first of all. So the second part of verse 3, he cries with a loud voice like a lion horse. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Of course, the book of Revelation, that is the number that's repeated over and over and over again. And what we have here In verse four, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Does that not drive you crazy or what? I mean, why tell us? I mean, why tell us? The question is, if you're not gonna let John write it down, why even bring it up in the first place? So I have behind it all these question marks. Uh, someday we'll uh, understand that. Um, but uh, for, for right now, um, we don't have that information uh, given to us. Okay, let's go to um, the little book that's in the hand and talk about that a little bit. What is the little book? That's in the angel's hand. Uh, This book is the angel's authority for the claiming of the sea and the earth for Christ as he puts one foot upon the earth and claims both of it. I also believe it's the book of Revelation that's hinted to as we get a little bit farther into our study this morning. Um, Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
I draw your attention to verse 25. Speaking about this, we'll read 25 through 28. Paul saying, for he must reign till he has put all things under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter two. Just look at a couple of verses there. Hebrews chapter two. Um, let me draw your attention to verse five here. We read, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Now this is showing the superiority of Jesus over anything else that's created. But one testifies in a certain place saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. And you set him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now catch this. For in that he put in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not see all things put under him. All things are under him, but we don't yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. Jesus Christ died for the entire world. Paid in full, everybody. And now the ball is in our court whether we receive that salvation or like the people that are in the book of Revelation rejected him. There will be people who come to Christ during the tribulation period but it's actually the wrath of the lamb for not accepting the work that was done on Calvary's cross. Good place for an amen. That's, but um, the Bible says, whosoever. You're a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. And it's completely up to our free will and exercising our free will um, with God's plan. Has the price been paid? Yep, paid in full but we don't yet see that happening, and that's what Hebrews is pointing out. Even though it's done, we don't yet see all things under him, but we will, and that's uh, as we continue our way through the book of Revelation. All right, back to chapter 10 of Revelation. Let's get back to the little book. And um, again, the little book that we have in, in view here, well, I want to read um, one psalm. You don't have to turn to it. It's Psalm 8, verse 6, which says, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So that is a prophecy from Psalm 8, if you're taking notes this morning. 
All right, uh, three, B, and four. Um, now when the seven, okay, we covered that. Uh, let's go on to verse five and six. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his hand into heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. So this is where the title of the message comes from and he's laying claim to it and now he's saying no more delay. We're headed towards the end and it's only a short period of time that is going to remain. Now delay no longer. Um, Verse six tells us that uh, our creator um, is going to be the one who rules and reigns over everything. It's not going to be the globalist. It's not going to be the Antichrist. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I find certain patterns uh, that I see developing over over time, and I go, that's interesting. So in Genesis 1 and John 1 and Colossians 1, all ones, they all say pretty much the same thing. I won't have you turn to them. I'll read read them for you. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. The word there for God in singular is El. Elohim is plural. So when I read it in the, in the Hebrew, it would be in the beginning, Elohim, or God's. It's repeated again in verse 26 where it says, let us make man in our image, plurality. So what we have involved in, in the beginning, God's, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, remember the spirit brooded over the waters? We have the declaration, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, the Trinity created the heavens and the earth. In John chapter one, first three verses, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. If you're taking notes, add on verse 14. The word became flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. People actually walked and talked with Jesus while he was here. The same was in the beginning with God. Now verse three, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's John one. Colossians one, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and they were created for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1. And what the angel is declaring here in verses um, Five and six as he raises his hands and is declaring, you did it all. You created it all and all things that are in it. And then he says, 
Now there's going to be delay no longer. Verse 7 is a very interesting verse. But in the days of the sounding of the seven angels, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Boy, does that get my, my brain twirling. The mystery of God. This all takes place when the seventh angel is preparing to blow the trumpet. This would indicate the seventh trumpet brings to the conclusion the great tribulation. It is at this time that the mystery of God is finally clear. Um, But there's many mysteries in the Bible. I got curious, so I Googled it. I wanted to know how many times mystery occurred in the Bible. I found out it occurs 22 times uh, in 22 verses, and I'm not going to have you turn to them, but I'm going to read and comment briefly on each of one and then throw you out my own hypothesis as I think about the mystery of God. Now, some of these mysteries have since been revealed and some have not yet. I'll begin with Mark 4, verse 11. This is concerning the church. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Romans eleven twenty five. For I desire, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinions that blindness in part has happened to, to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, it's a mystery that Jesus was Jewish, the whole early church was Jewish, but now um, blindness has happened to them and um, it's a mystery as, as they think it through. Why is Israel set aside for a season? And believe me, that is a whole Bible study within itself. But, but one of the things that comes to mind is how shocked the disciples were when they knew that salvation was for the Jews. And then Peter has this dream and vision. He's hungry, and he sees this blanket come down out of heaven, and all the food that was on it wasn't kosher. Everybody with me with kosher? And um, the Lord says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. Is that an oxymoron or what? (laughs) Not so, Lord. (laughs) And it happened three times that he was told to eat things that were not clean. And then he gets a knock at the door. And Cornelius had had a vision. Angel appeared to him. And he wanted to know about the salvation. Now, if I had an angel, if I'm wondering about salvation and I have an angel knock on my door, I'd say, you can come in and explain it to me. But that's not what he's told to do. He says, no, I want you to send for Peter. I want him to explain it to you. In the meantime, he gathers all of his friends and families together and they go off and, and they, get, they get Peter. And Peter finally, he says, okay, I, I get it, Lord. Because Cornelius, a centurion, was a Gentile. And he preached the gospel right in the middle of the Bible study. The Holy Spirit falls on the Bible study group and they all speak in tongues. 
And the Jews that were there go, this is a mystery. How can a Gentile be saved? Well, that's what the whole blanket thing about what God has cleansed, Peter, don't you say it can't be cleaned. Gentiles can be cleaned. So this, this verse here um, about um, this mystery that you wouldn't be ignorant, why did blindness happen? Well, if they weren't temporarily set aside, then the church age would have never begun. And it's a mystery, in a sense. Romans 16, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret since the world began. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the age of our glory. Non-believers, when you talk to them about spiritual things, the reality of the Holy Spirit, they don't have eyes to see. It's a mystery to them. They can't get it because they are spiritually undiscerned or the Spirit of God isn't in them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll come back to this one in just a bit. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This mystery has since been unfolded because it's a reference to the rapture of the church. Ephesians 1.9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Ephesians 3, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written. Ephesians 4, by which when you read, you may establish my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And also in Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. God in man. First Corinthians chapter three says, don't you realize that you're the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Well, that's um, a mystery how that could ever be. Ephesians 6.19, as for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. God's plan, how he's gonna temporarily set Israel aside so he could be a light to the Gentiles as prophesied in Isaiah. Colossians 1.27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, now it is explained, Christ in you, the hope of glory. A mystery to many. Colossians 2.2. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Just a couple more. Colossians 4.3. Meanwhile, praying 
also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. So Paul's in prison when he's writing this one. Here's one that's applicable for today. 2 Thessalonians 2.7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I would say amen to that. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. A reference to the Holy Spirit. Again, where is he? In you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Lord comes for the church and now the restraining force is removed and this mystery of lawlessness which we see rising um, daily, exponentially. Every day it's getting worse. Do you think I like to stand up here and say it? No. Is it true? Yes. And I'd like to tell you it's gonna get better but I don't believe for a second it is. I don't think our world will ever be the same again. And especially when the church is taken out of the way, literally all hell will break loose. Remember, Revelation 4, the church is in heaven, and then we have the seal of the trumpet judgments, complete and total lawlessness. Um, Revelation one twenty, the mystery of the seven stars. The seven stars are the... Uh, the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands you saw are the seven churches. There's mysteries and symbolism in the book of Revelation. If it's not explained in that chapter, case in point, Revelation one twenty says here's a mystery. Seven stars, seven golden lampstands. But then it explains it to us what they are. Mystery here, but then explained to us, all in the same chapter. And the reason I say you have to know the book of Daniel and the book of Zechariah, because what's not explained in Revelation is explained either in Daniel or Zechariah. We'll be back at Zechariah uh, this Wednesday evening. I'll just give you two more. Revelation 17.5, and on her forehead was written a name, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the world. And... Um, Verse seven, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the 10 horns. So going back to our text, verse, um, where were we in seven? Yes, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, the mysteries of God would be finished. All right, I'm gonna um, make a statement here by saying it's okay to say when somebody asks you a biblical question, I don't know. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, we're already in 15. And we'll just look at verses 12 and 13. Of course, this is a love chapter. And in verse 12, he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, or through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. What does that mean? That means we don't have all the answers. We only know in part, but then I shall know just I am also known. 
And so what Paul is saying here is we understand, but it's like looking through a glass darkly. We don't get all of it. We get pieces here and there. Um, Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul says we don't have all the mysteries answered. Uh, But when we get changed, we'll understand all things. We will know, it says, even as he knows. Boy, do I look forward to that. All right, as long as we're here, just turn the page to chapter 15 because it's one of the... One of the mysteries, uh, verse 51, talking about the rapture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The word there is metamorphosis. It's going to happen uh, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump will sound and they'll be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In my driveway two days ago, I looked down, and here's one of those cute little caterpillars. And um, I didn't want to squish him, uh, so I picked him up and, and put him over on his side because I know that he's going to start spitting his chrysalis, and I know that after millions and millions and millions of years, <laughs> I can't resist. Two weeks. He goes from that little thing that can only crawl on the ground, spins this little chrysalis, two weeks, and he comes out a monarch. Beautiful but, but, butterfly. And they're out now, you see them, they're, they're, they're congregating right now. And uh, they, they, they have their, uh, um, their roadmaps out from their iPads, and they're gonna make their way down to this mountain outside of Mexico City. All of them. The ones from Seattle and the ones from New York are all going to end up on the same mountain. How do they know that? How do they become this little creature and then turn into this beautiful butterfly and they make their winter home outside of Mexico City? Boy, they're pretty smart if you ask me. But that's the same word here, change, metamorphosis. What are we now? We're earthbound, aches and pains, my hip is hurting me for some reason. And um, uh, we're going to be changed like that. No more suffering. No more pain. No more sorrow. We'll have a body that's described for us in 1 Corinthians 15 that is going to be designed um, uh, for heaven. Uh, however, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, and afterwards, the spiritual. We have one body for the earth and we're going to have another body for heaven. Let's move on. Back to chapter 10. We left off, uh, let's read 8 through 10. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take now the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said, take it and eat it. But it will make your stomach bitter, but it'll be sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand. I ate it. 
and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Question, what is the book? Turn with me to the first chapter of Revelation. He says he eats it, and when he eats it, it's sweet. I believe the book is none other than the book of Revelation. It's the only book in the Bible that promises you, if you read it, you'll be blessed. The only one. And that's what it says in verse three of chapter one. Blessed is he who reads the, and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written for the time is near. That's pretty sweet. If you eat it, drink, eat it, take it in, you'll be blessed. Well, what kind of blessings? I'm quickly gonna go through the seven promises made to the individual churches in chapters two and three. It says in chapter seven, verse, uh, chapter two, verse seven, to the church of Ephesus, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life has not been mentioned since the book of Genesis. And now it's the first promise. Then to the church of Smyrna, um, he says in verse 11, uh, verse part 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is a whole study within itself. If you're taking notes and you want to research it, just write down Revelation chapter 20. The promise to the church of Pergamos. Um, Verse 17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now I'm beginning to make an association here. I want you to begin to tie it in. Hidden manna. Um, I believe God's word. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So you're going to have a name between you and the Lord someday that only you and the Lord know. And I think it denotes intimacy. Any of you husbands have a pet name for your wife? Wife, do you have a pet name for your husband? What, nobody's willing to admit it? (laughs) My point is, it's intimate. And uh, you're the bride of Christ. But there's millions of Christians. How can all have this intimacy? My personal names, and so on and so forth the promise to the church of Thyatira. We read, verse 26, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I'll give power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron as the potter vessels shall be broken to pieces as I also receive from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The promise to the church of Sardis, verse five, he who overcomes shall be clothed in a white garment. I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the church of Philadelphia, verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The last promise is to the church of Laodicea, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Boy, that sounds pretty sweet to me. As I take the book in my mouth and I start to read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the only one with a blessing, and then all these things are gonna come to me, that's the promise. And I go, sweet, sweet, sweet. But then, and you're gonna have to excuse my pun here, when John begins to digest the book of Revelation, I'm talking from chapter six, seven, eight, nine, 10. And we see one half of the world's population destroyed, one third of the sea, one third of all green trees, all one third of fresh water, one third of the light, and um, again, another one third of mankind. As that begins to settle in, it becomes very, very bitter. Sweet at first, but the more you get into it and digest it, it becomes bitter in, in, in John's stomach. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, and also Ezekiel chapter three. Because the same idioms are used in the Old Testament. There are only a couple of verses, but I, I do want to point them out. These are Old Testament references to eating the word of God. So in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, uh, it says, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to be the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Uh, Ezekiel's the next book over. Go to Ezekiel chapter three. And we find the same terminology being used. Ezekiel 3 verse 1. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it. And in my mouth, it was like honey and sweetness. Even Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter four, likened what we're doing this morning. Um, um, Matthew four, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's a He's equating eating physical food with eating the word of God. 
Now, in the early days, um, I'm going back to the early Jesus movement, and I'm just having a little fun right now. Uh, We had a saying, and um, we actually uh, made a sticker and put it on the back of our cars. And and this is a sticker, I'll show you. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Calvary Chapel, where the sheep like to eat. (laughs) That's very, very old. I had to to look around quite a while to find that one. What's your point, Dwight? Well, the Bible's to be devoured. And it's to be eaten on a daily basis. Remember the children of Israel traveling through the wilderness and they got manna from heaven? And uh, the Lord says, I'm going to give it to you every day, but uh, don't try to take two days amount because if you do, it's going to rot and have worms. So they went on every morning. It was sweet, tasted like corn and seed. And, but some people thought, you know what, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow and get twice as much for today. And so when that happened, uh, they went up to have their breakfast and the stuff that they saved rotted and grew worms and there's a point there this is how God sustained the children of Israel for 40 years manna from heaven and uh, it had to be gathered daily except on the Sabbath on the Sabbath he said okay you can you can do twice as much and sure enough they gathered twice as much and it didn't rot no work to be done on the Sabbath what's your point Dwight well This morning's Bible study is good for this morning, but not tomorrow morning. And we have to um, have our own manna, so to speak, and have our own devotional. Um, I personally, I like to use Pastor Chuck's book, um, Wisdom for Today. Chuck can say more on one page than most pastors can in hours of Bible teaching. And And then your own private devotion. So as we close this out, let's, we have one verse left. Let's go back and we'll, we'll close it out with this. Verse 11. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. In other words, your job isn't over, John. At this point, we are halfway through, not even halfway through, the Great Tribulation. When we get to chapter 11, Uh, verse 15, we have the opening of the seven bowl judgments. Um, All nations, all people, all tongues, and all colors ought to hear the word of God. They need to hear it because they need to be warned that judgment is coming. If they go through the great tribulation, they will soon recognize that it's not the millennium, In fact, they will feel as if they've entered hell itself. This is the part that made John sad. This is the reason this little book became bitter to John. He must prophesy again, um, many before before Christ comes for his kingdom. Much prophecy is to follow. We are not to quit halfway through the book of Revelation. Prophecy about the nations and, and peoples is necess, um, aren't necessarily against them. It's a judgment to come. This new series of prophecies uh, that we'll be getting into when we get into chapter 12, it will reveal the fact that there was a great deal more to say. 
The study of prophecy will have a definite effect upon your life. It will either bring you closer to Christ or it will take you farther from him. Close with one verse. I want you to turn back to the book of Matthew, 28th chapter. You all know it really well. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with uh, verse 18. Everybody knows what it's called, right? The Great Suggestion. No, it's the great commandment. What was John commanded to do? Write seven letters to seven churches. Lay it all out. Don't seal anything except what the angels told with the thunder. It ends with, in Revelation 22, um, John, don't seal the book for the time is at hand. The spirit and the bride say come. And that's everything open. The book, Revelation, actually means to reveal. And now he's, the last thing in verse 11 that he's telling John, your job's not over. And as we close this morning, let's face it, gang, we're living in times where people are actually asking questions. They're afraid. Um, They don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what people do that don't know the Lord. I don't know what Christians who do know the Lord that don't know Bible prophecy. Uh, Their security is still in Christ. They could find comfort in that. But I want to know what's going on. And they do too. And you have the answers. So take your opportunity. And just like for Jesus saying to John, John, your, your job isn't over. So let's close with the Great Commission and know that the Lord is with you. And I'll go before you, pray for divine appointments. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, that is so important today. Because there's a lot of preaching, but not necessarily a lot of teaching. Amen? Teaching is what we need, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, all of it. Even the stuff that's hard to talk about teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age, and all God's people said. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And as each of the seven promises to the seven churches ended with this verse, so let us close with it this morning. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what your Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. Lord, for those of us who need boldness, um, equip us, Lord, that we might be better prepared um, because we don't want anybody that we love or even know to enter this terrific, horrible period of time. So, Lord, we just commit the rest of this day to you. We thank you once again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.